In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. <clears throat> in order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. Whatever the virtues of, uh, of the many fields of knowledge, all their steps on the path of omniscience. May these arise in the clear mirror of intellect. O Mangyushri, please accomplish this. Good evening. Welcome. <coughs> so tonight we continue on with the introduction of the Luminous Heart, and uh, here we're getting into the whole subject matter of the tradition of the five texts of Maitreya, and how they're viewed by different major philosophical or, or uh, meditation masters in the lineages of Buddhism in Tibet, in India and Tibet, and um, and then how to place the views of Rangjung Dorje, the third Karmapa, in terms of those texts and in terms of, in particular, his uh, take on Madhyamaka. So it's a little bit dense, so I'll just go through it really quickly. Just kidding. <laughs> So I will uh, go through it slowly, and I won't go through all of it, I'll skip about as usual. And I want to start with uh, just orient us to the five texts of Maitreya, sometimes called the five dharmas of Maitreya. So here's just a simple list of the five texts in their traditional order, Abhi, Samaya, Lamkara. And uh, so when you parse the title in Sanskrit, it's three different syllables, uh, th sorry, three different words, Abhi, Samaya, and Alamkara. And when the uh, final A on Samaya smashes into the beginning A on Alamkara, they elide, elide. There's an ellipsis of them. And it's the Samaya Alamkara. Samaya Alamkara. So Abhisamaya Alamkara is the pronunciation. And Abhi means higher, or where uh, Carl is translating. It's usually called higher, but Carl is translating as clear. And Samaya, in this case, is realization. You know, we're probably all familiar with the term Samaya from uh, the Vajrayana tradition where it means vow. But uh, in the Mahayana tradition, it means understanding or realization, which is sort of an interesting gloss on the Vajrayana usage as well. And uh, Alamkara is an ornament, an adornment, like you would put on your Christmas tree. You would have decorations representing the five dharmas of Maitreya on your Christmas tree, on your Buddha tree. 
ornaments of uh, clear realization. And uh, second one is Mahayana Sutra Alamkara. So again, three words, Mahayana, the greater vehicle. Sutra means uh, uh, something stitched together or sutured. <laughs> and then Alamkara is the adornment, so the uh, ornament or adornment of the Mahayana Sutras. Madhyanta Vibhaga has three parts also. Madhya, Madhya is uh, the middle. An anta, I spelled that wrong. <laughs> it's not Anata, it's Anta. There we go. Done. Madhya Anta Vibhaga. So, uh, middle is Madhya, Anta is the extremes. And Vibhaga is the distinction or the discrimination. So between middle and extremes. Middle being the understanding of the greater, uh, the greater view of the Mahayana, of the nature of reality, is not falling into the extremes of nihilism and eternalism, basically. Dharma, Dharma, Tava, Bhaga, Dharma, phenomena. Dharmata, suchness, and vibhaga, discrimination or distinction. Carl's translation is the distinction between phenomena and their nature. The last one has two common names. One is Mahayana Uttara Tantra, and sometimes it's also uh, referred to as the Ratna Gotra Vibhaga. So the Uttara Tantra title has Mahayana, the greater vehicle. Uttara is uh, none, none greater, that which there are none greater than, or the highest, and Tantra is continuum. Same as in Vajrayana, continuum of ground path and fruition in the case of Vajrayana. So Carl's translation is the ultimate continuum of the Mahayana. And um, the Ratna Gotra Vibhaga has three terms. Ratna is the jewel of the Buddha nature. The Gotra is the, it's sort of hard to uh, um, translate, but we went through this with the text by Mipong on uh, Buddha nature, where we saw this reference to the term Gotra, and I circulated some article or two on it. But it's this idea that beings have a, a are born into the family of sentient beings. So they are inheritance or or genes. Sometimes you know, this could be like enlightened genes, although Trumper and Mache in that case is talking about Buddha nature. But base, so in the uh, traditional version, there's a distinction between the rotten of the Buddha nature and the sort of inherited, inherited um, uh, situation of sentient beings of being confused. So here it's Gotra is sort of a uh, pejorative or negative interestingly and so the text's title would mean a distinction between the jewel and the Gotra inheritance. So those just briefly are the five and then we have Carl's little summary that I circulated. So just briefly, the 
ornament of clear realization. Abhismaya Lamkar comments on the emptiness taught in the Prajnaparamita Sutras and what happens in the minds of Bodhisattvas familiarizing themselves with emptiness on the paths and bhumis. We did a course on this a number of years ago, and uh, it's an amazing synopsis of uh, the entirety of all the Prajnaparamita Sutras, but in particular the 100,000 line and 25,000 line Mahayana Prajnaparamita Sutras in about 30 pages of verse, highly cryptic, packed, jam-packed, and is uh, analyzed into having 70 topics that are sorted into eight major categories representing the uh, different paths of uh, Buddhists and their progression along those paths. And I'll, I'll try to provide like the uh, outline of the texts of these texts later. Ornament of the Mahayana Sutras, synopsis of all topics of those Mahayana Sutras that are not covered by the Ornaments of Clear Realization, the first one, and the ultimate continuum of the Mahayana. So it's like a condensation of the uh, material in, the, in the, all of the Mahayana Sutras, arranged topically, and um, it's longer. It's probably probably about a hundred pages, maybe. The distinction between middle extremes. We also did a course on that years ago, and it's sometimes classified as an Abhidharma text. Carl says it explains the vast paths of all three yanas, emphasizing the view of Yogacara, including Yogacara Middle Way, and the distinctive features of the Mahayana. So I have some general material on what Carl is describing here, as well as uh, some practice material, some material about meditation, shamatha and vipassana that actually has a nice presentation of uh, shamatha and vipassana that is hard to find elsewhere. Interestingly, between all of these texts and all of these words, there's very little on actual practice, and this is the one that has some on it, and it contains the eight obstacles and the five antidotes of the shamatha tradition as well as the nine stages. Distinction between phenomena and their nature discuss the difference between samsara confusion and the liberating power of non-conceptual wisdom, the heart essence of all profound sutras. And finally, the ultimate continuum is a general commentary Buddha nature and represents a bridge between sutra and tantra and has seven maiden chapters. So that just gives you a quick rundown. He says um, a, a, an accessible way for contemporary Dharma students like us to study them is, and the link that I sent takes you to a page on the Shambhala Publications website where it lists all these translations in English Now that, that now exists. When I grew up, so to speak, in terms of my Buddhist education, these were not available, and uh, it was very difficult to find any translation of any part of these. There was uh, a clunky um, 
they were like really scholarly excerpts and small parts of some of these available. So now it's like really cool, which is part of the reason that now we uh, people are talking about them so much is that they're now available. And there's a feeling that the texts of Nagarjuna and Aryadeva of the Madhyamaka tradition sort of came out early in the uh, exploration of Buddhism or, or Indian Mahayana Buddhism by Western scholars. And there was a lot of Nagarjuna stuff and Madhyamaka stuff translated and commented on early on when, uh, like, starting from, like, the 1970s through the through 2000 by many people. And so there's a lot of material on that. And it's like this other material was, like, looked down upon because it was cast sort of a, an aspersion by the Madhyamakas down on this as a lower... Um, the lower category of teachings, the Chittamatra. And there was very little understanding of the of the nuances of the tradition and the different takes on it, which we're now getting this gloss as there being like a Yogacara tradition, this pure tradition. It goes back to Asanga and Maitreya and Vasubandhu, and then this Chittamatra tradition that um, we'll see in our text tonight is a, a sort of deviation maybe you could say into into what uh, has given Yogacara a bad name as, as uh, mentalism or idealism uh, but he, he recommends starting with uh, the ultimate continuum which is like a key text on Buddha nature it's extremely repetitive and boring but <laughs> it's a key text so many uh, all of these like in the in the uh, publications at Shambhala website listed now they're they're given with the root text and commentary because they're uh, they're very hard to understand without commentaries but uh, this one in particular is published with a commentary by John Conshaw, The Ultimate Continuum, that's very long and together. It's very thick and hard to get through. But the root text is very beautiful on its own. And then distinction between phenomena and nature and so forth. Anyway, so that's that. Now let's look at the book, which we are on page 79 of. So with respect to the five works by Maitreya and Tibet, there's just about every possible interpretation in terms of which of them belong to mere mentalism, Yogacara. So mere mentalism is Chittamatra. Yogacara, Yogacara Madhyamaka, Swatantra, sorry, Swatantrika Madhyamaka, Prasangaka Madhyamaka, or Madhyamaka, Zhendong Madhyamaka, or great Madhyamaka. <laughs> and, uh, however, despite these differences, what is clear for most commentators that in terms of their contents, these five texts cover the entire range of the Mahayana teachings. From uh, as, an out, as an outsider, or maybe like a first look at this section of the text, and a subsequent section of Carl's introduction that we have for tonight where he lists the number of times different texts are quoted in his text. Like he goes through this amazing count of what texts are quoted by Rongjong Dorje. Gives you this sense that 
we Buddhists are like obsessed with this topic. <laughs> and it's just like, why are we so obsessed with how to classify the five texts of Maitreya? What's the big deal? Why don't we just like read them and understand them instead of like, you know, is that second turning or third turning or what do you, what do you think of them? And uh, do you think it's first turning? Oh, that would be radical. <laughs> or maybe there's a fourth turning. Uh, but the Tibetans, they're just totally obsessed with this topic and they, they fight about it. So Carl goes through a number of these different versions and I'll, I'll go through most of them, but not all. So in particular, the Galupa school and parts of the Sakya school. Sakya is sort of for this cool thing where there's like the, the part that cleaves to Galupa and the part that's just totally radical. Holds that the Abhisamaya Alamkara teaches on the middle turning of the wheel of the Dharma. And, and, you know, you have two schemes. It's like, which wheel does it apply to? And then, which of the wheels is interpretable and which is definitive? So for the Galukpas, the second wheel is definitive and the third wheel of the Dharma is interpretable. And just briefly, definitive means like the real thing and interpretable means like, but you know, sort of Dharma light or like um, not quite the, the real McCoy. And, um, you know, the challenge, the, the challenge always is that for, for so-called them, for Tibetans, for all these Tibetans, this was, this whole controversy was actually an important topic for them in terms of like how they understood what they're meditating on. And I think that's really important for us to keep in mind because I, I, I know I personally find it very hard to extrapolate from this whole thing like how does that impact what I do in meditation but they for that, that's what's going on for them so that's sort of part of the challenge for us is to see for one like why they're obsessed by these classifications and then how it relates to their view of like how to work with their mind so Abhisamaya Lankara teaches the middle turning. So that's, they like the Abhisamaya Lankara. They love that one because they're into the second turning. And it, um, Wheel of the Dharma, and it represents the view of Yogachara, Swatantraka, Madhyamaka, which they're cool with. The Gulupas, you know, they're Prasangas, but they appreciate Swatantraka and Yogachara, Swatantraka, Madhyamaka. Whereas the Mahayana um, Sutra Alamkara, the Madhyanta Vibhaga, and the Dharmatava Bhaga teach on the third turning and represent nothing but nothing but <laughs> total pejorative, nothing but mere mentalism. Chittamatra understood as asserting the ultimate existence of consciousness and being inferior to Madhyamaka. Sort of the greatest insults you can levy at a Tibetan Buddhist. <laughs> And uh, and the Uttara Tantra represents uh, the, cult, the culmination of uh, Madhyamaka as Prasangika Madhyamaka, which is really interesting because it's pure Buddha nature texts and presents uh, the Buddha nature as really from the ultimate point of view. So I think, um, I think you just answered my question uh, in that additional reading. What is and isn't Yogi Chara? Yes. He says the Galupa ultimately 
they like the pras prasangika. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and I thought I thought it was more that was more a Kagyu thing and they were more Satrantika. Satrantika. Or Swatantrika or Satrantika. But you just kind of said they like that, but no, they're they're pure pure prasangika. Oh, the Galugpas are are they have their version of prasangika. You know what what it comes down to is the Kagyu Nyingmas and half the Sakya then say that the Galugpa prasangika is a perversion of prasangika and it's not real prasangika. And uh, this is something I would love someday to get into, which is like read some Tsongkhapa presentation, Tsongkhapa being the main Galugbite in our world system, the forefather of all Galugpas, and his presentation of Banyamaka, and he has this thing called the Eight Great Points of Tsongkhapa, which is uh, his one of his students compiled. And then the other lineages like spend centuries debating, refuting those eight points. And, and how it's sort of fascinating. Um, you know, you, you, it's like you have, on the one hand, you have Tsongkhapa as a real extremist, and then on the other hand, you have Dolpopa, this wild Gentong guy who uh, is just very uh, sort of into the, the realism of, uh, of uh, pure nature sort of thing. We'll come to We'll come to some dull pulpa stuff. Okay, so by contrast, here we are. <laughs> dull pulpa Sheriff Jeltsin says in uh, in his Mountain Dharma, his famous long exegesis of the Dharma, and elsewhere, that all five Maitreya texts teach nothing but gentle. All Gentong, everywhere. And Dolpopa also, by the way, says that Nagarjuna and Chandrakirti teach Gentong. So Dolpopa is, is just like this totally outrageous guy. And uh, and that even the Abhisamayalankara does not contain what is known as Rongtong. <laughs> Very outrageous. Taranata, in his Essence of Other Emptiness and Other Works, agree with this. And Taranata is one of the inheritors of Dolpopa's tradition. Uh, he sort of founded what's called the Janokpa tradition. And that would be considered quite an that's quite yes. an extreme right so Carl's given the two extremes you got right. okay. the Galupas and then Dolpopa and now let's get a little bit <laughs> between what's going on between now then he goes into and you know talk about long footnotes we have here a two page paragraph on Shakya Chokden so Shakya Chokden is this really cool Sakyapa very controversial for Sakyapas because he didn't follow the mainstream and he totally branched out and he 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 becomes very much of a Zhentongpa, but not like Dolpopa, another brand of Zhentongpa. Anyway, this is long and complicated and I'm going to skip it for now and, and go right to his little summary at the end of, of Shakya Chokden, unless we have time later. So on page 81, 
the end of this two-page paragraph says, Thus, all Mahayana texts composed by Sangha and Vasubandhu, as well as all those by Dignaga and his spiritual heirs. And Dignaga is in the lineage of Sangha and Vasubandhu. Um, represent nothing but the Madhyamaka of the definitive meaning. So that's code language for like um, non-rongtong understanding of Prasangika Madhyamaka. That's their way of saying the Galukpas, the Rongtongpas, their Madhyamaka is not the, the real McCoy. So they have the Madhyamaka of definitive meaning, or, or, um, or the Nyingmas call it the great Madhyamaka. But they call it the Madhyamaka, the definitive meaning, to distinguish it from the Zhentongpas, because they don't want to be affiliated with the Zhentongpas. So Shakya Chokten came up with this term, definitive meaning Madhyamaka, which is nothing but the intention of the Prajnaparamita Sutras. See, by calling it Madhyamaka, they're saying it's the same as the Prajnaparamita Sutras. It's no different, as commented on in the sutras of the third turning. The third, the idea, if you cleave to the third turning, the, the way you view the teachings of the third turning is as a further explanation of the teachings of the, of the second turning, instead of a regression. Okay, our buddy Mipam Rimshe, what does he have to say? And he lives like, you know, way later, 19th century, whereas uh, Shakya Chokhtin, he doesn't give the dates, but he's like, I think, 14th or maybe 15th century. And we saw the Dolpopa was 13th or 14th century. Mipam Ramshay in his introduction to his commentary on the Dharma Dharmatava Banga. And by the way, um, the Dharma Chakra Translation Committee and the Padmakara Translation Committees we're putting out these translations of the five dharmas that were on that Shambhala web page are translating them along with uh, Mipam's commentaries. So you get Mipam's commentaries on this, which is pretty cool on these texts. So his commentary on the on the Dharma Dharma Tavabhanga says that the five Maitreya works comment on the intentions of the entire teachings of the Buddha. Among them, the Abhi Samaya Lamkara comments on the intention of the middle turning of the wheel of Dharma, Prajnaparamita, and the Uttara Tantra comments on the definitive meaning of the final turning, the intention of the sutras that teach the Sugata heart, or Buddha nature. Both assert a final, single disposition. So this is this is Carl's translation of Gotra, right? 172, that's a good uh, translation. What is 172? I didn't do my homework fully. Oh, is that the big one? <laughs> no, no, not quite. It's right before it. It's, it's sometimes it just says the thing about family or gotcha. Family is still gotcha is still sometimes translated as family or lineage. Two of the words, ordinary literal meanings. But uh, sorry, when it refers to Buddha nature. Of course, by virtue of having Buddha nature, all beings can be said to belong to the family or lineage of the Buddhas, but one cannot help but wonder what it should mean that Buddha nature itself is a family or lineage. Anyway, sort of a cryptic footnote. 
both a sort of single final disposition. And in the last course on MIPOM, I showed some evidence that in one of the earlier sutras, the Lanka Avatar in particular, there was this idea that there was five types of beings or, or dispositions or lineages. There's the Shravaka, the Pratyeka Buddha, the Bodhisattva, and then there's those who are uh, um, uncertain, they haven't decided, it's unclear what, which family they belong to. And then there's the cutoff family, those who are not going to have no chance to achieve enlightenment. And that's an early scheme that caused a big uproar in Buddhism, like to say that people, some people are not going to ever, don't have the potential for, for enlightenment or Buddhahood. And so then the Mahayana tradition spent the next thousand years correcting that error. Okay, anyway, Carl says, both assert a final, final disposition and his final single yana. So that's what um, Asanga and Maitreya and Vasubandhu, you know, reacted to this erroneous presentation in the Lanka Avatara Sutra about five different paths or vehicles or um, goals and came up with this one yana view. And that was uh, heralded by the, the sutra called the uh, Lotus Sutra or the Sutra of uh, the White Lotus, the Saddhamra Pundarika Sutra. Uh, a final single yana to that extent accord with the intention of Madhyamaka. The Mahayana Sutra Lamkara is a synopsis that comments on the intentions of the majority of the remaining sutras. Most of what is said in it, such as a single disposition, a single yana not being definite, is mainly a commentary on the intention of the sutras of mere mentalism. So the Mahayana Sutra Alamkar, according to Mipam, has a bunch of Chittamatra in it. The Madhyanta Vibhaga and the Dharma Dharmata Vibhaga teach the vast and the profound sides, respectively, of the general yana, meaning the sort of single yana. Though they extensively teach on the three natures and the non-existence of outer objects, it is in no way definite for them to be exclusive mere mentalists texts merely by virtue of these features. So just because they talk about there being no external uh, objects doesn't mean they're a chitta mantra. It is also not contradictory to present the intention of Madhyamaka through these terminologies, which is sort of a radical thing to say that Madhyamaka is presented by uh, typologies such as the three natures and uh, mind only. But that's the implication of all of these guys that hold these Maitreya texts to be Madhyamaka. Since the, uh, so on top of page 82, since the Lanka Avatara Sutra teaches the five dharmas, that he's saying it teaches all these different, these different schemes, five dharmas, three natures, eight consciousnesses, and two kinds of identitylessness as the general dharma terminologies of the entire Mahayana. And uh, the five dharmas is not the five skandhas, it's another scheme. And since the three natures also appear in the Maitreya chapter of the Prajnaparamita Sutra, and this is, uh, there's, there's two things that appear in the, in the Prajnaparamita Sutra, Sutras that then are picked up as huge uh, trends in the third turning teachings. 
one of them is that there's a chapter called the Maitreya chapter of the, uh, I believe it's the 25,000 verse, Prajna Paramita Sutra, where he mentions the three natures. He gives a presentation of the three natures and of their emptiness. And then that is extrapolated hugely by, uh, you know, Maitreya, Sangha, and Vasubandhu, and so forth. But it's in the Prajna Paramita Sutra, so you can't deny that scheme. It's there. The other thing that's in the Prajna Paramita Sutras, and I believe it's in the same chapter, is that uh, the Buddha, the, the so-called author of that text, says uh, there's mind, meaning there's confused mind, there's uh, uh, that mind is empty, and that mind is luminous. Where it's really, uh, it's really better to be more faithful to the Sanskrit, which just says mind. Mind is empty. Mind is luminous. So that's understood by the by the uh, the likes of Maitreya Sangha Vasubandhu is mapping out the three turnings of the wheel of the Dharma. That. Mind as confused mind is talking about the Hinayana, sorry, the first turning teachings that present uh, samsaric mind. And the second turning presents mind as being empty, and the third turning presents mind as being luminous. And the fact that these two things are in the Prajna Paramita Sutras gives license to everybody to, like, you know, go, go uh, all out on these schemes. However, there is no word or reasoning in any of these two texts. And the two texts are the Vabhangas, the Madhyanta and the Dharmadharmata Vabhangas by Maitreya that suggest a really established non-dual consciousness as asserted by the mere non-mentalists. So there's this uh, stream of, uh, of teachings called uh, Chittamatra that assert a truly established non-dual consciousness. And because of that, the entire rest, the entire tradition of Maitreya Sangha Vasubandhu has been labeled as Merimentalism or Chittamatra by the Prasangika and Madhyamaka traditions in general. And so what many of these many of these teachers are doing is they're trying to clarify that in these so-called root presentations by Maitreya Sangha and Vasubhana, they never assert a truly existent consciousness. Now, there are statements in there that could be misunderstood as asserting it, you know, and, and uh, obviously that's where the crux of the problem lies and that there's statements that are uh, not completely evident in terms of their import that can be interpreted in different ways. Anyway, thus there's, according to Mipam here, there's no flaw in explaining them to be <coughs> unbiased commentaries on the intention of the general yanas, in particular the Madhyanta Vibhaga, gives a detailed explanation of the paths of the three yanas where all the Dharma Dharma Tava Bhaga determines non-conceptual wisdom 
the heart essence of the topics of all profound sutras in accordance with the Yogacara Madhyamaka principle of the two realities. And this is Carl's translation of the two, what is often called the two truths. He's calling them the two realities in union. In it, the matter of asserting the seeming, the relative, the, the uh, bearers of the nature of phenomena. And he, what he means by that is that dharmas, or relative phenomena, bear the true nature of phenomena, bear suchness, they carry suchness, they, they, uh, they are suchness, but they appear to be like relative phenomena but they actually are uh, pervaded by suchness. And so uh, he's sort of saying two things at once. He's saying that all phenomena have the mark of suchness and that suchness does not exist anywhere else other than in the phenomena, in the relative phenomena. It's not like there's some place far off where there's true reality, pure and simple. Um, let's see. In it, the manner of asserting the seeming accords with mere mentalism. So the relative truth is presented in the, in the way of the Chittamatra tradition in uh, the Dharma Dharmatava Bhanga. While the manner of asserting the ultimate nature of phenomena accords with the Madhyamaka. And this is the scheme of the Yogacara Madhyamaka tradition in general is that they present the relative in terms of mind only and the ultimate in terms of non-implicative emptiness. Thus, its final intention consists of Madhyamaka and can be understood as the manner of teaching the essential points of the Mahayana V by way of the union of Chittamatra, mere mentalism, and Madhyamaka. Okay, so Carl gives a, a little presentation of Rangjung Dorje's view here, and then in the whole next chapter, he goes into it in great detail. And so for the sake of time, let's go through the version here, and then we'll just do a tiny bit of the next presentation. In the Kagyu School, the third Karma, Karmapa's introduction to the Oxford English Dictionary says... Anybody paying attention ah, out there? Very funny. <laughs> the OED, right? Isn't that what that is? Trump Rinpoche was a big fan of that book. The OED. No, but okay, so here we enter the, the cryptic world of scholars' abbreviations for texts. And just in case you're not all up on this, the way this works is you go back to the very beginning of the book, right after the table of contents. There's a, a, a list of abbreviations. So it's even before, before they start even numbering the pages. So it's like on page negative 10 or something. You have abbreviations, and they're alphabetical, the abbreviations. So you look at the abbreviations, and OED is Rangjun Dorje's ornament that explains the Dharmadhatu, Vibhanga. The commentary on that text, since that's one of the texts in the book, and we'll be going through. So he's going to refer to that, and you have all these other initials. He has New York, and that just up above a little bit, and that's Rangjung Dorje's treatise on the distinction between consciousness and wisdom. And then in, uh, further up from that, he has NT, and that's Rangjung Dorje's treatise on pointing out the Tathagata heart. 
So try to remember that. NT is the Buddha nature one, and Y is the difference between consciousness and wisdom, and OED is the Dharma Dharmata, the Bhanga. And those are the and then way up on the top, AC is auto commentary. So the difference between consciousness and wisdom is shorthand between the distance between sentient beings and Buddhas? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's the square root multiplied by pi. The square root of both. And you'll see that sometimes he abbreviates things based on the English words, like auto-commentary, A-C. Um, and sometimes see the abbreviations like N-Y, comes from the name of the text in Tibetan. So it, it, it's not that easy to figure out. But you got basically AC is the profound inner reality. You have NT is the Buddha nature text. NY is consciousness and wisdom. And OED is Dharma, Dharma, Java, Bhanga. Anyway, back to page 82. He says in this introduction to OED, he goes through these different texts. Obviously, Mahalankara clearly teaches on Prashnaparamita, the middle cycle of the Buddha's words, the Dharma wheel of the lack of characteristics. That's one. The Mahayana Sutra Alamkara, the adorned ornament of the Mahayana Sutras, illuminates the meaning of all teachings of the sutras in the first and middle Dharma wheel, and so on. The so on is a little unclear, but... The Madhyatva Bhanga teaches the meanings of the characteristics of afflicted and purified phenomena up through the unsurpassable yana. The implication is it covers all three turnings. The Dharma Dharmatava Bhanga illuminates the meanings of samsara and nirvana. The Uttara Tantra summarizes the meanings of the sutras of the last cycle of the Buddha's words and of those that teach the Buddha yana. Wherever you see teachings on there being one yana that leads to Buddhahood, that's how you find the Uttara Tantra. In particular, the Dharma Dharma Tava Bhanga illuminates the path, including its fruition, which is the manner of engaging in the five dharmas and the three vehicles. So, just briefly, the five dharmas. Let's see, 175 is. These are. The causal features. So that's the footnote on page 419. Names, conception, suchness, and perfect wisdom. So it's not a common scheme, not something you probably have come across before. It doesn't like relate particularly to anything else, but they use it. Maitreya uses it in that text, that scheme. And the three natures, which elucidate the modes of the two realities, as well as in the true reality of the eight consciousnesses, non-conceptual wisdom that bears the name, fundamental change of state. Change of state, the Buddha heart, the Dharmakaya implicitly, it also teaches the liberations of all Shravakas and Pratyeka Buddhas, meaning that it teaches that the Shravakas and Pratyeka Buddhas, in, in calling them or in thinking of themselves as such, as Shravakas and Pratyeka Buddhas, is a temporary phenomenon. And ultimately, they will also enter the Buddhayana and become Buddhas, like all other sentient beings. Therefore, it is like a gate to enter all the words of the Buddha 
and the treatises on them. These five treatises are Maitreya's single continuous effort, and in order for these five to ascertain the meaning of the entire teachings, it is evident that homage is paid at the beginning of the Abhisamayalankara, while the completion part in the Uttara Tantra teaches the dedication. So he's saying that these five texts are like a unit, and they, they are sort of one continuous text, and you see the beginning of all of them, at the beginning of the Abhisamayalankara, and the conclusion of the Uttara Tantra concludes all five. Through this one also realized the order of these five texts as follows. Abhisamayalankara was composed first because Prajnaparamita is like the mother of all texts that teach the paths, including their fruitions of all wonderful yanas which give birth to all four noble ones. All four noble ones. Shravakas, Pratyeka, Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, and Buddhas. By saying that the diverse other sutras of the three yanas accord with this meaning just mentioned, the Mahayana Sutra Alamkara ascertains that they belong to the scope of what is to be understood and clearly realized. So that text, you know, talks about what we should understand. As a summary of this, the Madhyantava Bhag explains merely, <laughs> merely, how to engage in the characteristics of the factors to be relinquished, and their remedies, the obscurations of these, true reality, abiding in the manner of cultivating the remedies, including their results, and the unsurpassable yana. So that's much more of a path text, whereas uh, the others are more like a view. Uh, let's see. If all of what is taught in this way is summarized further, everything is contained in this engagement in phenomena and their nature, as taught here in the Dharma Dharmatava Bhanga, so that's a sort of condensed essence of all five, and then the Uttara Tantra teaches the actuality of the nature of phenomena, the basic nature of Buddhahood, the definitive meaning which lies not within the sphere of any ordinary beings, Shravakas or Pratyeka Buddhas. This nature is taught as being endowed with adventitious stains, stainless enlightenment, qualities, it's enlightened activity and the manner of engaging in it. Those are the main chapters. Thus one should know that all words of the Buddhist teachings, teaching and the treatises on it are summarized in these five texts. So that's the third karmapa. Uh, briefly he goes through a couple of other people in the commentary in the Madhyamaka Avatara which, which is a, the main Madhyamaka text it's written by Chandra Kirti, and it's a commentary on the general meaning of all of Nagarjuna's writings, as well as the Prajnaparamita Sutras, uh, the introduction to the Middle Way. By the Eighth Karmapa, he wrote a famous long commentary on Miki Dorje, which is translated into English now, The Feast of the Fortunate, reports the position of his main teacher, the first Sanjay Nyanpa Rimshe, Tashi Peljur on this. All these five Dharma works by Maitreya are established as commentaries on the intentions of the entirety of the words of the Buddha and the causal and fruitional Mahayana. Causal and fruitional Mahayana is the most interesting part of that. those terms. What is the causal and fruitional Mahayana? So, sort of presumably like second and third turning. Second is causal, third is fruitional. 
for the following reasons. As for the middle three treatises, which is the Mahana Sutra Lamkara, Madhyamtavabhanga, Dharma Dharma Tavabhanga, it is not the case that they do not teach the principle of the Madhyamaka Dharma in an ancillary way, but their explicit teaching is this distinct system of Yogacara. And the first Dharma work of Maitreya and Abhisamalankara is a treatise common to Madhyamaka and Yogacara. And the last Dharma work of Maitreya, Uttara Tantra, is a treatise common to Sutra and Tantra. So that's the sort of short, pith version of what these five texts are about. Jaman Kontral, the great Lodotaya, lastly, in his, he has a famous introduction to his commentary in the Uttara Tantra, which is very long. The commentary is, but the introduction is like the, the key part of it. First, Maitreya composed the Abhisamaya Lankara, which teaches the course Dharma terminology, the great Madhyamaka of definitive meaning. Again, that, that type of Madhyamaka terminology being used. Um, in merely in an abbreviated manner. It's a really condensed text. Then, in the Mahayana Sutra Lankara, Madhyantavabhanga, Dharma Dharmatavabhanga, he explained it clearly and extensively. So those are longer, more more like uh, prose, more like descriptive. Finally, in the Uttara Tantra, he ascertained the fine details of the philosophical system of the uncommon meaning of the sutras, the special meaning of the sutras on the Buddha nature. In brief, the text by the third karma upon others translated below are based on all five works of Maitreya. <coughs> Excuse me. In merely the manners described by Ranjan Dorje and Sanjay Nenpurimshe, though given their topics, they clearly emphasize these four instead of the Abhisamaya Lankara, which is on the Prajnaparamita Sutras. Okay, so briefly, uh, we'll go th- I'll go through the beginning part of this presentation of uh, Ranjan Dorje's views. In the Tibetan tradition, Western scholarship alike, third karma is often unequivocally identified as one of the main kagyu represented, sorry, exponents of Zhentong Madhyamaka. And here Carl like takes great offense, you can see, at that, and uh, complains about a lot of people. As discussed elsewhere, such categorizations depend entirely what different people understand by this term or by being a Zhentongbo, which can vary greatly. So he's written on this in other places, which is why he says as discussed elsewhere. So um, such categorizations depend entirely on what different people understand by the term. So the uh, uh, being a gentleman, but can vary greatly. As far as the third Karmapa's own works are concerned, the fact is that not even the terms gentong or rongtong appear in them, let alone any definitions or further explanations. So Rongjun Dorje lived at the time of Dolpopa Sherab Jeltsin, who's the sort of progenitor or forefather of gentong. Uh, and um, he lived, Rongjun Dorje lived sort of towards the end of Dolpopa's life. And so those terms had just started to be used by Dolpopa, and Rongshong Dorje didn't go near them. <laughs> and let's see. 
This is particularly noteworthy with respect to those of the third Karmapa's text that clearly present his view and in which one would expect to find these terms in their explanations if they had any significance for him. So he's saying he's basically talking about the, the same topics and commenting on the, the Maitreya's text and if he, if he cared, if he cared about Shantong, he would have mentioned them. Now, it's also possible that they were so newly introduced by Don Popa that they had not become sort of common enough for Rongjin Dorshe to care to use them, but Carl takes this other view. Therefore, um, the intention behind translating the text below is to provide further substantial materials for the study of Rongjin Dorshe's view through his own writings and not just through the filters of the later and significantly loaded labels, Rongtong and Jentong. So Carl's trying to like advance his uh, pet peeve that people have like called the third karmapa a jentongpa. Other jentongpas, more recent jentongpas, like say the third karmapa is a jentongpa, and Jomga uh, Kongchol is a jentongpa, and Mipom is a jentongpa, and Carl is coming to their defense. As for the sources of the primary texts on the view by the third Karmapa, his works are squarely based on the classical scriptures of both Yogacara and Madhyamaka. He skillfully crafts a synthesis that consciously uses the elements of both systems. So what we see in Rangjung Dorje, as brought out here by Carl, and uh, many other great teachers such as Mipom, to some extent Jongun Kongchul, and uh, also by a, a gentleman in this in the sort of heretical Sakya tradition called named Gorampa, known affectionately as Grumpy, and um, some other teachers, is that they are like a synthesis of Rongtong and uh, Rongtong and Zhentong, and not like affiliated not taking one side or the other, but sort of coming up with like a middle way between Rongtong and Shantong. So there's a number, there's like this tradition, a number of teachers that have taken that. Longchenpa also is among them. He he also lives around the same time as Dolpopa and Rongjong Dorje and doesn't mention Shantong and Rongtong at all. You know, we read his presentation of the different schools when we went through his uh, treasury of uh, philosophical systems and he had a very sort of prasangika view of uh, the Chittamatra school, and there was no hint at all of Yogacara or Zhentong. Uh, let's see. Uh, so he carefully crafts, skillfully crafts a synthesis that consciously uses the elements of both systems, which despite their sometimes differing Herman Utical approaches, wherever Herman is, are grounded in the same Mahayana foundation to supplement each other and furthering one's understanding of their common ground and to arrive at the same, excuse me, personally experienced wisdom of realizing the nature of one's own mind, not of other people's mind, but one's mind. Then he goes through the list of his main texts, which is sort of like enough already, but uh, since they're all, they're mostly here. It's sort of helpful in uh, seeing which texts we're going to read through and going through this book. And you get the abbreviations just so that they. Right, can... we get the abbreviations. And we'll go through these texts if we ever get there, right? 
Okay, so they are first the profound inner reality, and you see ZMND, which means something if you know the Tibetan title. Uh, he, and he translates only uh, chapters 1, 6, and 9 because all of the other chapters are highly esoteric tantric material that go through in incredible detail the inner subtle body in uh, the Vajrayana tantric tradition. The winds and the drops and the channels and all sorts of wild stuff. And 1, 6, and 9 are, are like philosophical. Uh, the auto-commentary on that, uh, so auto-commentary is Rong Zhong Dorje's own commentary on his root verses. The treatise pointing out the Tathagata to heart, NT. The treatise on the distinction between consciousness and wisdom, New York. The ornament that explains the Dharma Dharma Tavavanga OED. The commentary on the Dharma Dot, Dharma, Dharma, uh, sorry, <laughs> Dharma Datu Stava. So this is the praise of Dharma Datu by Nagarjuna. This famous controversial text by Nagarjuna that praises Dharma Datu in a way that makes him seem like <sighs> a Jandongpa, or at least like a third turning dude. And so the, you won't see any Galupas ever talk about that text. <laughs> And Western scholars are like, no, that's not really by Nagarjuna. That was just attributed to him. Don't be silly. That's not the same Nagarjuna that wrote the the uh, root verses of Manyamaka. Anyway, so uh, Rongjun Dorje writes a commentary on that. And that's translated in a book by Carl Bernholzl called In Praise of Dharmadhatu, where you have Nagarjuna's text along with lots of commentaries and probably a very long, dense introduction. As for the chronology, he gives the years. I don't think we care that much about the years. And um, so then, in addition, the following shorter poetic works exhibit also, works also exhibit many of the features found in the above text. And he lists these po poetic works, Aspiration, Prayer, Mahamudra, uh, and that's quite a famous text on Mahamudra. Many, many uh, other teachers have given commentaries on that. Situ Rimshe, Jamgun Rimshe, so forth. Tronga Rimshe, Trolloc Rimshe. Uh, the wisdom lamp that illuminates the basic nature, proclaiming mind's way of being mistaken. Stanzas that express realization in the song on the Alia. I love that. A song about the Alia. I think that would be a great hit. I don't know, what would the name of the band be? The, the Eight Consciousnesses or something? They could have like eight players in the band. Anyway, the third karma was great interest in the text by my trans song in particular. is further demonstrated by us having composed summaries of a number of their books. Both summaries of and commentaries on these other ones and a synopsis and a table of contents of the Abhismayalankar. So, writing a table of contents would in the West would be like, what? <laughs> you wrote a table of contents on some other text and that's like your dissertation or your homework or you're proud of that. But <laughs> in the Tibetan tradition, tables of contents were very important things. They have a specific name. And when you talk about very complicated texts like the ones by Maitreya Sangha, analyzing their context and their contents in a structural way to show like what topics are covered and what 
sort of interlocking sequence is uh, is the key to understanding these texts. And so to have written an uh, outline of them is a, a great feat, actually. And you'll see this all over the Tibetan tradition where there's these uh, very complicated texts that other teachers will write the, the table of contents for. It's very cool. I don't know if, if anybody's like into Dzogchen. There's a book called Buddhahood Without Meditation. Um, and I think Dujim Rimshe is... That uh, Nangjong? Is that... Yes, yeah, and I think it's by Dujum Lingpa, and who's a prior incarnation. Dujum Rimshe was an incarnation of him, and Dujum Rimshe writes this table of contents of it that, like, you wouldn't think the two were related at all. <laughs> anyway, um, from among the above Levin texts, by Rongjong Dori, six and seven have been translated elsewhere. So six was the Dharmadhatu Stava, that's in praise of Dharmadhatu, his other book. Seven is the Aspiration Prayer of Mahamudra, like tons of translations in many different books, including Carl has one in the book Straight from the Heart. And then he says, uh, three, four, ten, and eleven are translated below in the full. Three and four is uh, NT, four is NY, and uh, 10 and 11 are these poems. And the remaining ones are translated below, and they're parts that focus on the view. Which is pretty cool that of the 11 main texts of Rangjun Dorje, there's either full or partial translations of all of them at this point, which is really neat. In the Kagyu tradition, one of the four are considered as a unity that is crucial in its elucidation of how the views and practices of Vajrayana Mahamudra are based on the Sutrana teachings on Buddha nature as the very ground path and fruition of these approaches and on mind's transition from being obscured in the form of a dualistic consciousness to being freed as non-dual wisdom. And that right there is the reason why we're reading this book, is because those texts are like the core of the uh, Kagyu view and a basis for practice. And here we go. These texts are not just mere philosophical or scholastic treatises, but inform and enhance meditation practice through their profound outlook and occasionally, <laughs> occasionally, very alive and immediate diction, occasionally. But uh, so this is the, the challenge is for us to like read through these texts and see in what way are these like actually meditation instructions? Um, among these four, the most famous one, ZMND, the profound inner reality, together with its AC auto commentary, is an extensive general commentary on the Tantras. However, its first six and nine chapters are or include discussions of general Mahane topics, such as the eight consciousnesses or adventitious stains as the nature and the origin of samsara, the nature of the mind, the Tathagata heart or non-conceptual wisdom as the basis of nirvana, the transition from one to the other, the two realities, ultimate and seeming, and the three natures. All of these explanations equally apply to sutras and tantras and are supplemented by more details on Buddha nature, consciousness, and wisdom. And NT is the text on Buddha nature, and NY is the text uh, distinguishing consciousness and wisdom. These elements are found in the same ways 
uh, in the remaining text, six texts, five through ten, which indeed indicates that they portray Rong Tung Dorje's basic view as the common fundament, fundament, not fundamental, but fundament of the Mahayana in general and of the Vajrayana in particular. So generally we're talking about Buddha nature, consciousness, and wisdom throughout the eight consciousnesses, three natures, and so on and so forth. Lastly, to highlight some essential features of Wang Jun Dorshi's view, ZMND, Profound Inner Reality, starts by stating the overarching thing that pervades all of the above texts, the purpose of its composition being the realization of our primordially pure Buddha nature, which is only temporarily obscured by adventitious stains. This Tathagataharta is ever-present and unchanging throughout the three phases of its being. First, impure, as in sentient beings or the ground, being partially impure and partially pure, as in the bodhisattvas on the paths, and being completely pure, as in Buddhas or fruition. This theme is further elaborated at the end of the first chapter of the Profound Inner Reality, makes up all of the commentary on the Dharma Dharma Tava Bhanga, is that right? DSC. Sorry, the, the commentary on uh, Nagarjuna's praise of Dharma. Dot two and NT, which is the Tathagata Heart. The first chapter of the Profound Inner Reality's commentary, as well as the distinction between wisdom and consciousness text, started by describing the process of samsaric ignorance as mind being unaware of their own nature. Later, both of them comment on the four conditions that make everything mind-made appear. The Aliyah Consciousness as the causal condition, this is an interesting scheme. The basic Abhidharma scheme of uh, how things happen is that there's these four conditioning situations. There's the causal condition, uh, the dominant condition, the object condition, and the immediate condition. And if you have a uh, sense consciousness, like an eye consciousness, uh, Rob, sorry, why is Buddha nature not the causal condition? <laughs> uh, because uh, Buddha nature doesn't change, and in order to, to be a condition, you need to change. All right, then I'm misunderstanding the entire scheme. Um, it's the causal condition for what? Well, in this case, uh, for anything that happens, which basically refers to a relative reality because ultimate reality nothing ever happens it's very boring uh -huh. <laughs> right but but in terms of like why why a, a sentient being becomes a buddha isn't it because of the buddha nature oh, that's a, such an interesting issue well, that sort of gets right to the heart what can you guys talk about that for a second I'll be right back. Well, I mean, isn't this sort like of the heart that of that out. change of state issue altogether? Um, that we already, the Buddha nature is already there. Right. And so it's not changing. Well, there's two schemes on that. There's one form of Buddha, there's one school that says that Buddha nature is a seed and that it grows. And then, right. you know, like, for instance, if you're a fish, you have Buddha nature, but you don't have the same seed or amount of Buddha nature as a as a as a human being. 
I'm not sure if the, it's the amounts that differ or just the opportunities to be able to eliminate the obscurations. We happen, we happen to be going through the same material in Mahayana 305 right now, or 304 at, 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 at NBNY, and then we, we just covered that. I mean, there, there actually are two schools on this, or two. I, absolutely, I agree with you. I'm familiar with the seed school and the non-seed school. I think in this case, we're in the non-seed realm here, to right. be honest. I think that I, I think we are too, but that's why I asked the question, you know, sure. like, uh, you know, because I mean, what is it that turns, you know, ascension being with their, with our eight consciousnesses into a Buddha with the four dharmas? You know, what is, what is the, what, what is the act, acting agent on that? And I kind of assumed, I, I, I assumed it was Buddha nature that, that was the causal condition for that change. But I, I, I'm beginning to see I misunderstand, I'm misunderstanding all this. Buddha yeah, nature it's, is there waiting for you to realize it. It's not causal. It's permanent. Right. So the, so the causal part is either could be looked at as the process of elimination. I don't see how those two things are mutually exclusive. It can be causal and permanent. How does, how does, how does, why does it? Well, does by it, their definitions, I think that's not the case. And of course, here's the expert back to right. confirm that. But I think by definition, the, those things that are ultimate and in, as they say, permanent are, can't be causal. That's causal like a basic karma. definitional thing, right? You're trying there, to overcome karma. Why? <laughs> Because you're stuck uh, in a world of cause and effect, and you'll, it's going to... Well, because cause has to do with things that change. Right. Yeah, but... but uh, I see what you're saying. It, it's really a, it's really a great point. Enlightenment is a form of basis? Of what? What was basis? It's sort of a, an elimination of the, the movements of mind that results in uh, one un understanding the unchanging nature, the changeless nature. So yes. if you sometimes described it like a bank account, you have to you have to empty the bank account entirely. That's right. Well, like Jesus they, said, give up all your treasures, blah, blah, and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's a great point that Rob is making is like what provokes us onto the path and keeps us going. And we often say that that's Buddha nature. That Buddha nature is that which understands that suffering sucks and that, that suffering can be remediated. Could you get well, it's not. I don't think it's Buddha nature. I think it's someone pointing out buddha nature to you using it because it was there before it was always there i i thought that this this these four conditions were explaining what makes us not a buddha yes this is thank you mary but this is as the author says uh the four conditions that make everything mind made appear and only only what is mind made appears, and only and whatever appears is only mind made, right? But but uh, Rob is sort of getting to this issue that basically all of the teachings of Maitreya Sangha Vasubandhu, which we should just like abbreviate as MAV, I think, 
um, and the third training teachings are all about this seemingly contradictory situation of the ultimate nature of reality being empty and yet Buddhahood being a, a, a fact or, or true reality. And how do those things reconcile or not? How, how can those be simultaneously true? <clears throat> and uh, so all of this is about like how to understand the, those seemingly contradictory two things. And uh, the normal Western mind approach is, is that one of them can't be true and only one of them can be true. And uh, and the, the, the Buddhist tradition seems to be saying that they're both true. And uh, the way that one understands how two seemingly contradictory things can be true is the, uh, the great secret or the you know, the key to enlightenment how they can be coincide but empty it's, it's luminous, a great point right empty and luminous so let's let's keep that question that rob is asking uh in our forefront and as well, we go in, through these just to follow on what you just said in some ways the key to that is leaving conceptual mind behind because it's conceptual mind that can't grok the the contradiction right Condic con contradictory conceptual categories right so when you enter a non-conceptual wisdom then you don't you're not bothered by uh opposing concepts so let's see the four conditions that make everything mind made appear the only consciousness as the causal condition so that's the under that's the main provocateur uh, the sense faculties are the dominant condition. So when you have an eye consciousness, the eye sense faculty is the dominant meaning. It's the, the main factor that is active in creating eye consciousness. And there's um, the objects of the senses, forms, sounds, and so forth, are the object condition. So there being a light, uh, um, or a color in the within one's visual field is the object condition of a of a visual sense consciousness, and the this thing called immediate mind. And next week's reading has a whole chapter on immediate mind, so let's not go into it just yet. But that is being put forward by this tradition as being the immediate condition. And the earlier tradition of the Abhidharma and the Sautrantika presentation of these four is um, that the immediately preceding moment of consciousness of any type acts as the immediately preceding condition that gives rise to the next moment of consciousness. And the the object and dominant conditions are the same, but the causal condition is the interaction between, in this in the case of a, a visual consciousness, between a visual object and the eye uh, sense base. So we'll go we'll go through this because Rangjun Dorje will talk through the scheme the scheme over and over again. Uh, Cynthia.
in talking about these in this context, are we talking about them in, um, you know, in this, we've been talking about the cogniz cognizance only um, situation. So are we in that context when we're talking about these conditions, like when we're talking about objects, are we still talking about this is something that's still originating yes. from within mind? Yes. So the lead-in was the, uh, the four conditions that make everything mind-made appear. And we know that, you know, so we know right away we're in mere cognizance world. So and, and the first one, the Alia consciousness as the causal condition, is replacing the actual appearance of an object to an eye. Uh, sense faculty in the worlds that believe there's real external objects. But so instead so of that, have, it's the Alia. But we still have sense faculties and we have still have objects, but those are all just mind part made. of the soup of mind. That's correct. That's correct. They're all mind. Do you, and do you think, I mean, you know, when you try to think about this, you know, cognizance only thing, is is it just out of habit that they map the earlier into something that seems like there's an object or you know oh no they're they're doing it they're doing it to point out the difference i think they're they're pointing out the difference the big difference is that the um the object condition is not an external material object the object condition is mind alia consciousness right but just the notion that there's still a a sort of a Sub, uh, subject object duality I guess I'm just curious as to that aspect yes well that's that's the world of uh, of confused cognition is perceiver and perceived yeah so we'll, we'll go through that and also the article by Dan Lustos uh, goes through this sort of thing as well, I think. That's right. I didn't finish that, so I'll have to finish that. Ultimately, these conditions may be asserted as nothing but dependent origination, but they are all simply expressions for particular events of mind's own imagination. The classical, classical Yogacara template of how these eight consciousnesses change state is the four wisdoms, and the three kayas is described and further refined in terms of the immediate mind in the sixth chapter of the auto commentary on the profound inner reality, as well as in the commentary on the Dharma Dharma Tava Bhanga, and in the distinction between consciousness and wisdom, and why. So then he goes through and he describes each of these texts in, in more detail, and I'm going to skip that part because we're going to read through the texts, and maybe as we read through them we can re refer back to his little sort of summaries of them. And I'm going to skip to page 92. Well, uh, there's a little summary of one of the main points that Carl is making about all of these texts. It is a Kamaparvangjung Dorje synthesis of the two great Mahayana traditions, i.e. Yogacara and Madhyamaka, is further evidenced by the significant number of scriptural sources by major Indian Yogacara Madhyamaka masters that his above texts incorporate or quote. And then he goes through this amazing list of what texts are referenced in the text by um, 
Rongjung Dorji. So in his auto-commentary in the Profound Inner Reality, we have all of these texts beginning with Mahayana Samgraha by Sangha down to the Mula Madhyamaka Karaka of Nagarjuna. And so this goes on for a number of pages, and then there's a summary of it on 94, which says, in brief, all these texts by Rangjun Dorje share many of the same quotes or paraphrases from both Madhyamaka and Yogacara works to support the same points. Throughout all his presentations, the third karma but clearly sees not only no contradiction between Madhyamaka and Yogacara, but explicitly states several times that they supplement each other and essentially come down to the same point. And uh, you'll remember famous Indian Madhyamaka gentleman who uh, who heralded this synthesis of Yogacara and Madhyamaka in the name of Shantarakshita. Is uh, one of the uh, main heroes of the Kagyu-Nyingma scholastic or view tradition. There can be no doubt that Rongjin Dorshi's explanations are always equally based on the major Yogacara text by Maitreya Sanghavatsabhana, as well as the Madhyamaka text by Nagarjuna, Chandra, Kirti, and others. In this regard, it's noteworthy that the Tibetan doxographical category, their uh, system of uh, categorizing schools, doxography, mere mentalist, chittamatra, otherwise so pervasively used, otherwise um, is only mentioned once in all of these uh, texts. Um, in all of the above texts by Rongjin Dorji, but it's clearly separated from the Yogacara of Asanga and so on the Chittamatra. Otherwise, the Karmapas texts use the term Yogacara or speak or simply speak of individual masters as opposed to using Chittamatra. Rongjung Dorje's balanced approach not only has a number of Indian forerunners runners, such as Kambala, Shantarakshita, Kambala Shila, Ratnakara Shanti, Shinyana Sri Mitra, and Apayagara Gupta, Abhayakara Gupta, but is also confirmed by several subsequent Kagyu masters. And the last section for tonight was, is Rangjun Dorje Jantongpa? Anybody want to take a vote on, on where Carl's going to end up with that? So clearly we don't have time to go through all of this, so let's see. Let's read the lead-in, and then we'll skip around. <clears throat> Third Karmapa's view includes both, so on page 95, both the Yogacara and Madhyamaka systems. is also stated by other Kagya masters, but they often employ the categories of <clears throat> Rangtong and Zhantong. Instead, of course, such comparisons in terms of Rangtong and Zhantong can only be made in hindsight by employing certain terms, categories, and distinctions which Rongjun Dorje himself never used, since he does not speak about these two terms, let alone explain their differences, whether or how they exclude each other, and whether and which one, if any at all, is superior. In addition, even if he uses certain terms, they did, do not necessarily, and in fact often don't, mean the same as when other people use them. To be sure, there's no problem if one wants to call the third karma a synthesis of yoga, 
charm and yamagan buddha nature teaching zhentong as long as one does not simply use this as a generic or partisan label and is aware of what it means exactly in his case as distinct from other people who call themselves zhentongpas and greatly elaborate on their version of what zhentong means as demonstrated elsewhere, Wang Zhendorje's view neither matches Zhentong as understood by Dolpopa, Tarnata, and other Jonangpas, nor Shakyachoktans, or Jamun Kongchol's Lodotaya's presentations. Of course, one can find certain similarities, but there are also significant differences between the third Karmapa's view and various brand names, Zhentongpas. This is clearly acknowledged by several Kagyu masters, such as the first Karma Trinle. A close student of the seventh karma, Pachitra Yatso, and an important teacher of the eighth. So, let's see. I think the better quote by Karma Trinley is on the following page 96. A poem by Karma Trinlepa in which he answers questions by one of his students about Rongdong and Zhentong. So this is after the big quote on 96. Starts by pointing out that this discussion involves a lot of rigid fixations on both sides. I will say a bit in reply to the to the competitive questions people ask me as to whether Rongtong and Zhentong are contradictory or not, seeing them, that there is a good idea of clinging involved in this topic. Sort of cool. He's uh, He lived in like the 15th century, right? And already we have like this, you know, it's a, a common thing is to be asked, you know, was so-and-so or Rongtongpo or Zhentongpo? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. And he's like, I'm sick and tired of people asking me this. He continues by summarizing what the seventh karma, but his teacher says about how Rongtong and Zhentong are understood wrongly and correctly, respectively, out of attachment to a nihilistic view. He says certain present-day conceited Rongtongpas assert that emptiness as a non-implicative negation is ultimate reality. Emptiness is a non-implicative, just like uh, just rejecting any conceptual framework at all is ultimate reality. But this is not the genuine Rongtong asserted by the learned Rongtong Madhyamakas. So there's an example of uh, saying that Rongtongpas don't understand their own tradition. Certain Rongtongpas have a misunderstanding of Rongtong Madhyamaka. But this is not the genuine Rongtong. Said people may well meditate by being attached to such rabbit horn-like non-existence. <laughs> Rabbit horns are non-existent things, but they will not experience the basic nature through their meditation on such non-existent things as rabbit horns or jackalopes. Since non-existence is not the sphere of valid cognition, how could it possibly be something that is realized by personally experienced wisdom? If one focuses on wrong tone as a nihilistic view, forget about seeing true emptiness. The genuine wrong tone explained by the previous learned ones is that all phenomena are empty of a nature of their own, but this is not a non-implicative negation. So <clears throat> many of you were in the, in the course where we went through the book on emptiness. 
by that Galupa gentleman. And we saw how he understood emptiness as a non-implicative negation, period. Clean and simple. And so he's uh, one of the ones that Karma Trinley is talking about. The genuine wrong tone experienced by the previous learner once is that all phenomena are empty of a nature of their own, but this is not a non-implicative negation. Though it is empty of the appearances of apprehender and apprehended, the wisdom without the duality of apprehender and apprehended exists. You know, and they would normally like reference Nagarjuna, not only the praise of Dharmadhatu, which is sort of the easy one, but in the Mulabhanyamaka Karaka, where he uh, uh, negates all sorts of conceptual categories, he still extols the Buddha and does not negate the Buddha to some extent. We should, we should, we should check that, fact check that. Um, though it is empty of the appearances of the evil ones called the apprehender and the apprehended, the wisdom without the duality of apprehender and apprehended does exist. Empty, and the word emptiness does not mean nothing whatsoever. This is interesting, you know, empty and emptiness uh, uh, mirrors the term in Sanskrit of shunya and shunyata. We're, we're used to shunyata, which is, an, is a, a noun, and shunya is an adjective, if I have my grammar right, you know, it's a, it's a descriptive. Whereas shunyata is a thing, so to speak. And so he says, um, empty, and the word emptiness does not mean nothing whatsoever. So he's saying that the, the shunya in shunyata is describing that which is empty. So it's not a, a non-implicative negation. It's a very interesting way of saying that uh, what he just said in the previous sentence, the wisdom without the duality, non-dual wisdom exists. Derek, is, is that a way of pointing at a grammatical thing that points back at the appearance part of it? Uh, I'd say more like at the luminous, empty luminous at, part of it, which which could also be said to be the appearance part. But yeah, there's, there's something there. That's there's, why we're talking there, about there. Right, there is something that is empty. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, which wrong Tongpas would like have a fit over. They'd be like, have a heart attack or kill you. Okay. Um, this is not a, the correct understanding of being empty, but just the extreme of being empty. <laughs> Rather, one should consider that Ness as in Loch Ness monster, is the suffix that indicates affirmation. Very interesting gloss on this terminology. There are also some contemporary conceited gentompas who claim that an ultimate which is permanent, enduring, eternal, immutable, and really established is the profound shentong since it is empty of the adventitious states of apprehender and apprehended. He's now, he just put down this sort of standard way of explaining Zhentong. 
Such a claim amounts to nothing but faking one's clinging to such an eternalistic view as being profound emptiness, but it's not the pure Gentong taught in the sutras. So just like Mipom, like when we went through that Buddha nature text, he like goes through the extreme ways of understanding Buddha nature and seems to some extent be contradicting himself when he talks about the nature of, of Buddha nature. And and somehow seems to be pointing out that there's like a clunky, erroneous way of understanding the qualities of Buddha nature. And there's a subtle, correct way, and they sort of sound exactly the same, but it's it's his way is the correct way. Um, through being mistaken about Maitreya's statement that mind as such is not empty of unsurpassable qualities, famous quote from the Uttara Tantra. They say that Zhentong refers to the 64 qualities that exist at the time of the ground in a manner of being empty of adventitious things. He's talking about the 64 qualities of Buddhahood, of enlightenment, that exist at the time of, of a ground of a sentient being. So some, he's saying those Zhentong books that uh, naively say that uh, stainless, uh, that these 64 qualities exist in, within ascension beings are diluted because uh, this means nothing but de deprecating the Buddhas by implying that ascension beings are completely perfect Buddhas in whom all obscurations are terminated and wisdom has unfolded but who nevertheless circle in samsara because they experience the sufferings of the six types of beings and the hells and so forth. So you can't just say that perfect Buddhahood exists in a sentient being because then you deprecate the Buddha. And yet you can't say that Buddha nature doesn't exist in sentient beings. So, you know, coming back to that earlier statement about what it's all about, it's these contradictory, seemingly contradictory conceptual frameworks. Um, finally, Uh, okay, we'll wrap up with this. Finally, Karma Trinley reports what the seventh Karmapa himself taught him about the correct view of Zhentong, as explained by the third Karmapa. The meaning that is taught in the Tantras, the Bodhisattva commentaries. There's this set of three books by certain Bodhisattvas that are like supposed to be the pinnacle of, uh, of the sort of Sutra and Tantra uh, commentaries. He, does he give the, he must give these guys 207 briefly. Oh, never mind. He doesn't. 202. 202, thank you. These are their uh, Kalkan Pundarikas. Kalka, Pundarika was one of the seven Kalkans, which is the, uh, the rulers of the place called Shambhala before the Rigdans came into vogue. And so he describes these three texts in the footnote, if you're interested. Uh, many sutras, and by those who follow the five dharmas of Maitreya, represents the Zhentong held by Rongzhong Dorje, about which I heard the following from the mighty victor himself, meaning his guru, the seventh Karmapa. He said that mind is such unconfined, unbiased, naturally luminous, expanse and awareness, inseparable, space and awareness, inseparable, this great sphere, 
ordinary mind. So all these different epithets that have the same referent, so to speak, if you can say that they have a referent at all, um, but i.e. they're referring to the same thing, the great sphere, ordinary mind, whose essence does not change into anything. So uh, Buddha nature does not change is known as other empty from the point of view of having become Buddhahood once it is pure of adventitious stains. Once it is pure of adventitious stains, it becomes Buddhahood, but not before. That this primordial ground is not tainted by any obscurations is the purport of being empty of other. This very mind as such being ignorant about itself is called adventitious obscuration. Since this is something suitable to be separated from mind, the nature of phenomena is empty of it and thus other empty. The 64 qualities that reside within the basic nature are indeed never separable from mind. So speak about obscured Buddhahood at the time of the ground and stainless Buddhahood at the time of the fruition. A very interesting way of portraying that uh, Buddha, Buddha nature resides in ascension being, but it's a, a sort of, of a different quality or state from the Buddha nature that resides in a Buddha. It's obscured versus stainless. The 32 qualities of freedom from all obscurations and the 32 maturational qualities of enlightened activity unfolding together the 64 qualities of Buddhahood or whatever are the distinctive features of a perfect Buddha alone. We do not assert that these exist at the time of the ground. So there's Buddha nature at the time of the ground of ascension being, but not these Buddha qualities. Interestingly, the 64 qualities that exist at the time of the ground are obscured by obscurations, but he just said that they don't exist at the time of the ground. Did I read that wrong? <laughs> Um, they're obscured by obscurations. Through eliminating these stains, one becomes a stainless victor. <laughs> hey, victor. Therefore, the basis of being empty in terms of other emptiness is the sukha to heart. The nature of the mind is primordially just this. What it is to be emptied of are the adventitious stains to be relinquished, which are referred to as the imaginations of apprehender and apprehended. Therefore, ultimate reality is nothing but mind as such, free from the imaginations of apprehender and apprehended. Natural luminosity, the conate union, co-emergence, co the inseparability of expanse and awareness, ordinary mind, this is the view of profound other emptiness. Therefore, wrong tong and gentong are not held to be contradictory by my guru. He's, uh, Carl sums this up. Thus, if a uh, phrase by way of a correct understanding of the categories, Rontong and Gentong, view can be said to regard these two as not being mutually exclusive and to combine them in a creative synthesis. Let's see, skipping to the very end of this section on 109. I should be clear from the above and Rongjung Dorje's own writings. <clears throat> he 
His Zhentong, if anything, could be described as a combination of luminosity Zhentong and expanse Zhentong. What an interesting schemology, if that's a word, I don't know. But uh, a scheme that there's there's two types of Zhentong, luminosity and expanse. And presumably, like Dolpopa is one version, and Shakya Chokden is another one. But... Um, uh, let's see, steering clear of the pitfalls of reification. Presumably that's the problem in luminosity, genton, and nihilism is presumably the problem with expanse, genton. Yet again, rather than trying to find the right doxographical label to stash away the third karmapa's view or box, as with any accomplished and original philosopher or spiritual master, it seems more fruitful and refreshing refreshing to understand the full scope of Rongjung Dorje's distinct approach, persistently pointing out the essential points of the Buddhist teachings on mind's true nature in both traditions of the Mahayana in their own terms, or in its own terms. So, next week, maybe I'll, I'll go back and do a couple of little other sections that I skipped, but let's end there for now. Any final comments or questions or suggestions? Why do they call it uh, adventitious obscurations? Is it because you can get rid of them? Why is it <laughs> adventitious? <laughs> That's exactly the idea. Yeah, they're, they're just... They're there to get you to get rid of them. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's like you know, dirt on your on your cup or your shirt is there to be removed by stain removers. Adventitious, adventition, adventition, uh, the apprehender and apprehended. So let's conclude with our dedicatory chant. By this merit, may all obtain omniscience, may defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. By the confidence of the golden sun of the great east, may the lotus garden of the Rigdon's wisdom bloom, may the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled, may all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. Thank you all very much for hanging in there with this difficult introduction. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Be well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks.